Welcome into the weekend update edition of Main Street Sports today here on Mid Tennessee. Presented by Mid Tennessee Bone and Joint for now. I'm Maurice Patton, that's Chris Yao. And um, Chris, big show here to close out the week. Well, first, glad to have you with us here to close out the week. Good um, to be back on camera at least. You know, since I was yeah. here on camera with with a without a handheld mic and yeah, yeah, that the, was nice. The whole thing. So yeah, um, big show here this Friday. Um, we will be joined in the second hour by our Titan Insider Terry McCormick. Had some pretty big movement on the Titans front this week that we've really not talked about. Kind of shot away from it a little bit kind of get Terry's input on it. So we knew we had him today. And so we will be talking about Brian Callahan pretty well filling out his coaching staff to this point. In the next segment, we are going to be speaking with Ann Killen. Is that right? Killian? Mm-hmm. Kimmel. 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 Like Jimmy. No relation, huh? I don't know. Okay, maybe. <laughs> Ann Kimmel of the Hockey News. Because we kind of need to talk about the Predators, I guess, yeah. particularly after last night's debacle. Debacle? Yeah. That's, that's about the nicest way you can put it, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was tough. <laughs> man. So we will be talking with Ann Kimmel of the Hockey News in the next segment, talking about the Preds. We'll be talking to Terry McCormick. At the top of the three o'clock hour, talking about the Titans. Also, um, some Major League Baseball. Oh, yeah? A little bit. Well, you know what happened this week? Pitchers and catchers reported. Pitchers and catchers have reported <clears throat> our long national nightmare is over. It is. And if you want to you wanna hear something that will get you excited for the next, what, eight months, we got you covered. You know, it's funny. Pitchers and catchers reported. And Austin Riley was hitting bombs. But there was batting practice. <laughs> and Austin Riley was hitting bombs. And Matt Olson was hitting bombs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, those guys don't need any excuse. If y'all are there, we're there too. So, you know, yeah. If that doesn't get you going, I don't know what will. But, um, so yeah, we've got some MLB to talk about. We've got some CFB to talk about because there is no offseason. Um, Not anymore. Gotta talk a little NBA. Here we are. So, a little bit of everything we're gonna get into. We are going to, we won't be going from preps to pros today, I don't think, except maybe in the rundown. That's about it. Which, I don't know. We might as well go ahead and get to yesterday's results and this weekend schedule on the rundown. This is the rundown. Walters of Exit Realty, Bob Lamb and Associates. The Blue Raider Voice also wants to be your trusted advisor in real estate. 
Contact Chip at 615-542-1915 or through his website at choosechip.net. Chip Walters, proud to support youth sports across Middle Tennessee. Girls basketball action last night. Brentwood down Summit 73-39. It was Clarksville 62, Kirkwood 15. Clarksville Northwest falls to Dixon County 54-39. And Cornersville takes care of Cullioka 44-24. FC Boyd Senior Christian was a 55-50 winner over Christian Community Independence. Avenges a pair of regular season losses against the Lady Admirals. And that uh, 52-47 win last night against Franklin. Gallatin, 43. Mountain Juliet, 25. Henry County, 66-48. Winners over West Creek. It was Nolensville, 66. Ravenwood, 40. Rockville falls to Oakland, 56-40. Page down Centennial, 51-22. Blackman with a big one over Riverdale, 51-11. Ridgeland down Santa Fe, 39-24. Rossview was a 36-24 winner over Springfield. Smith County downs Watertown, 56-27. White House is a 37-34 winner over Greenbrier. And in TSIAA action, Division II state tournament plays Zion Christian, 28. Franklin Classical, 25. In boys basketball action last night, Brentwood with a 46-43 win over Centennial. It was East Hickman, 61. Cheatham County, 39. Creekwood defeated Montgomery Central, 69-43. East Nashville 68, Kip Nashville 53, Fairview down Sycamore 63-49, Franklin with a 47-40 win over Page, Greenbrier defeated Macon County 63-52, Hickman County with a 51-24 win over Harpeth. Summit led most of this game, but not when it counted, falling to Independence 66-57. Lebanon with a 63-48 win over Smyrna, it was Loretto 64, Lewis County 40, Green Hill with a 64-52 win over Mount Juliet. Ravenwood defeated Nolansville 57-39. Wilson Central 71, Stewart's Creek 58. Stop me if you've heard this before. Summertown 71, Mount Pleasant 58. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and in TSIAA state tournament action, it was Franklin Christian 90, Zion Christian 70. Men's basketball last night. Mo, you want to take the honors on this first one? <laughs> I do, in fact. Middle Tennessee State at the Glass House, 76. New Mexico State, 69. In a comeback take victory that, for the Raiders. What's that? Three straight now? Three straight. Three straight and, like and six, six or seven? seven? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Take that, Joe. Rumors of. <laughs> Number 10. There we go. Number Boom. Double, Double digits. digits. Yeah. Oh, man. Austin P. also down Central Arkansas, 77-67. Tuna with a 75-70 win over Lipscomb last night down in Florence. William Carey with a 76-69 win over UT Southern, which Stop. snapped a 19-game. 19-game win, win streak for the Firehawks. Fire snapped in that one. And in addition to the loss... Coach Dugan Law was ejected, so he will not be able to coach when the Firehawks next play. Which is Saturday. We'll, we'll get, get to that in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Kentucky Wesleyan downs Trevecca 101-82. Fisk with a 55-47 win over Dillard's. Well, it's ought to be pretty easy to beat a department store crew, but whatever. <laughs> Freed Hardman uh, with a big one over Cumberland, 102-61. On the women's side, South Carolina with a 11 point difference in the fourth quarter equals an 11 point difference in the ball game, 66-55 over the Lady Vols. 
at TBA at FCC. Is it T it's FCC or, or, or the TBA. other? I don't yeah. know. The, yeah, the on-campus basketball mm -hmm. facility. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Belmont See? down Northern Iowa, 8472. Middle Tennessee State, 73. Flip it for New Mexico State, just 37. Vanderbilt edges Texas A&M, 49-45. William Carey swept UT Southern, 82-46 last night. Trevecca took care of Kentucky Wesleyan, 88-70. Fisk downs Dillard, 68-62. Cumberland, 57. Freed Hardman, 44. In the association, the Grizzlies, 2-0 since Pete Pranica made his appearance on the show. Again, how many times we got to tell you? You come on this show and good things happen. Good things happen. 113-110 over the Bucks. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. And the <clears throat> Dallas Stars with count them nine goals at Bridgestone Arena last night to the Preds two. Girls basketball action today. Three o'clock starts for Hollow Rock Brewston at Houston County. Also Valor Collegiate and Lawson. Um at four o'clock today hillsborough plays at overton murfreesboro central plays lawrence county at marshall county and ezel harding plays providence christian over at middle tennessee christian at um 5 30 percombe plays at lead academy at seven o'clock cane ridge plays mcgavick 7.30 start for Moore County at Eagleville. Also, Franklin Road Academy plays Good Pasture at Middle Tennessee Christian. And at a time unknown to us, Joe Burns plays Merrill Hyde. Those were all girls games all tonight. Saturday. Did you mention Knowledge Academies in East Robertson as well? I don't believe I did. Also, time unknown. Time unknown. Check your local listings. Yeah, um, on Saturday, Times are literally all over the place. Um, yes. We got a one o'clock start. Riverdale plays Rockvale at two in Loretta. Lewis County and Mount Pleasant play. At 2.30, Blackman and Oakland play. Well, Blackman plays at Oakland. So I'm presuming that Riverdale-Rockvale game is at Oakland as well. Um, let's see. Three o'clock starts for Beach at Gallatin. Independence and Page at Ravenwood. At 3.30, Summertown plays at Loretto. Uh, 4 o'clock, Portland plays Macon County. At 4.30, Nolansville and Brentwood will play at Ravenwood. And I missed the 4 o'clock game between Portland and Macon County, I think. At 5.30, East Hickman plays at Cheatham County at 6. Lincoln County and Columbia will play at Coffee County. Also at six, Hendersonville plays Green Hill. I think that's everybody. Tonight, boys action. Pope Prep and Innsworth at five o'clock. Not sure where. Webb School Columbia Academy at 5.30. That is at MTCS. Hillsboro is at John Overton at 5.30. Tullahoma and Lawrence County at 5.30 at Marshall County. Rossview and Clarksville is at six, and I'm fairly certain that game is. Mm. I thought it was at Northeast, but I'm not in. I guess mm. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Rossview, Clarksville at six. West Creek, Clarksville Northwest at six as well. That's at Northwest. 
Springfield takes on Kirkwood at 7.15. At 7.30, it's Rockville versus Blackman. Kenwood versus Dixon County. That one's at Clarksville Northwest. Cullioka takes on Santa Fe at Cornersville. Mm -hmm. All right, that's at 7.30. At 8 o'clock, Brentwood Academy's at CPA, which, by the way, darlings of the D2 middle region tournament. They are, well, depends whatever. on uh, darlings for who? Because they have upset some apple carts over there, I well, do believe. So. I, they were winless in district play. Now, <laughs> ending seasons in their leaving seasons in their wake yep. are the Lions. Basketball is a tournament game, clearly. No doubt. Cane Ridge takes on Antioch at 8.30. McKenzie's at Houston County at 8.30. Murfreesboro Central and Marshall County. That's at Marshall County, right? Mm -hmm. Even though it doesn't say at Marshall County. Yes. That's an 8.30 tip. And then good pass. Tigers and Tigers. <laughs> There you go. Good Pasture Providence at MTCS at 8.30 as well. Yeah. Uh, Saturday boys action at 4.30. Beach plays Green Hill at 5.30. Lewis County and Mount Pleasant will play in Loretto at 5.30. Portland plays White House. 6 o'clock, Wilson Central in Cookville. 7 o'clock at Loretto, it will be the host Mustangs in Summertown. At 7.30, Fayetteville plays at Eagleville. Also at 7.30, Hendersonville is at Gallatin. White House plays Liberty Creek and Columbia Central faces Warren County. That game is at Coffee County. Doubleheaders college basketball. UT Southern is at Loyola, New Orleans. Without. 12 o'clock women's tip. Oh, okay. 2.30 men's tip, and that will be without Dugan. head coach Dugan Line. Yep. Western Illinois, the Leathernecks will be in town to take on Tennessee State at 1 o'clock. Women's, men to follow. Cumberland's at Bethel at 1. Uh, Tiffin is at Trevecca. And Fisk will be at Southern University at New Orleans at 3. Men's basketball only. Lipscomb, Saturday at Central Arkansas, 3.30 ESPN+. Plus. Vanderbilt headed to FCC at TBA for a 5 p.m. tip on the SEC Network. UTEP is at Middle Tennessee State. Huge game for the Blue Raiders at five, and Austin P is down at North Alabama at five as well. On Sunday, Belmont takes on Illinois Chicago, and that game will be also on uh, ESPN Plus, and that is at one o'clock. Okay. Women's basketball this weekend. On Saturday, Austin P makes a short trip up to, no, I'm sorry, down to Lipscomb. There we go. They will be at Allen Arena. That's a two o'clock tip. Also at two o'clock, Middle Tennessee State's women are at Texas El Paso and at four, Drake visits the Curb Center taking on Belmont. Sunday, one o'clock, you can see it on the SEC Network or you can just trek down to Memorial Gym and check out Tennessee and Vanderbilt. Seven o'clock on TNT, it's the NBA All-Star Game and at four o'clock on Saturday, the Predators travel to St. Louis taking on the Blues. Again, that's a four o'clock puck drop on Valley Sports South. And that is your rundown. Your top story brought to you as always by Piggly Wiggly over in Neely's Mill here in Columbia. 
Be sure and stop through there for their delicious daily deli lunch options as well as their hand cut meats and everything is cost plus 10% at the register. So again, be sure and check out Piggly Wiggly in Neely's Mill in Columbia. Jimmy G. Hmm. Man, we hardly knew ye. Um, the Raiders quarterback has drawn a two-game suspension from the National Football League for violating the league's performance-enhancing substances policy. Um, various media reporting that the violation is related to Garoppolo using a prescribed medication without having a valid therapeutic use exemption from the league. And apparently Garoppolo will not appeal the suspension. The Raiders are not going to appeal the suspension either. And it appears that it won't affect the Raiders one way or the other because they're expected to release Jimmy G. I don't know if this is unrelated or related to the sanctions by the NFL, but Jimmy Garoppolo is no longer expected to be with the Las Vegas Raiders. More likely related to the fact that if he makes it to the fifth day of the new league year in mid-March, he would earn $11.25 million in, roster, in a roster bonus, and I don't think that that's going to be something the Raiders are willing to pay at this point. You know, it, Jim, Not only that, but he also has a base salary of $11.25 million that would be guaranteed for the upcoming season that because of the suspension can now be voided. So the Raiders can get out from under everything with Jimmy G. And why would you not? I mean, this is a guy who took a team to the Super Bowl. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Did he take a team to the Super Bowl or did he play on a team that was in the Super Bowl? I'm here to tell you that any quarterback whose team has played in the Super Bowl, including Trent Dilfer, is a quarterback that can play for somebody in the NFL. Okay. Because, well, again, again. There, he's not one of the 15, but he's definitely 32 one to One of the 35, next 17, huh? 32 to 35. I mean, you, you, because bad quarterbacks don't make the Super Bowl. Bad quarterbacks lose you games before you get there against, better, against good teams. They just do. He's not bad. He's not great, but he's not bad. And it's just wild to me how his career has just tanked following Harbaugh's move to the collegiate rank. It, it's just, it's mind-blowing to me. Doesn't make any sense well, whatsoever. But see, here's the thing. You know, a number of quarterbacks get tagged with being system quarterbacks. Never mind that every quarterback is a system quarterback. When you want to insult a quarterback, you call him a system quarterback. But there are some systems that work better for most quarterbacks than others. 
and perhaps Jimmy Garoppolo benefited from the system that Jim Harbaugh had in place when they were both in San Francisco, and he has not been able to replicate that success in any other system. Maybe okay. Jimmy Garoppolo was a system quarterback too. Okay, but let's also look at where he's played. <laughs> All right, San Francisco prior to Brock Purdy, obviously. Well, there were other, was there somebody else? No. He was 13 and three in 2019 as a starter. Mm -hmm. Three and three injured. Uh, mm -hmm. no, I'm sorry, three and three was COVID year. I don't know how that played out. Mm -hmm. uh, nine and six in 21, and then seven and three in 22. He's got a quarterback rating of 97.6 in his career. He's thrown 94 touchdowns to 51 interceptions. Now, last year he was 7-6 and six with Las Vegas, I guess, in 23. So, 7-6, and six, and he did throw seven touchdowns to nine picks, but that was also in a Josh McDaniel system that is proven to not work in the NFL. And he also had no receivers because they're all, I mean, they signed what Antonio Brown at one point and he was gone. And then uh, obviously Henry Ruggs. And I don't even know who the receivers are out there now. It's mm -hmm. just, I mean, they got a decent run game, but they weren't utilizing it. Right. So I'm just saying that maybe there are worse quarterbacks who are, play, who are starting in the NFL right now. There just are. But is Aiden McConnell one of them? I, we don't, you know, we I don't like to say it, but you know, change of environment probably is good for Garoppolo. I think I think Vegas is one of those places where he's just not going to be successful, no matter whether it was Josh McDaniels, Antonio Pierce, or anyone else. Do I think he could be successful in some other place? I think he could probably play in a couple other. I, I think I think Atlanta would take him today. You know. Uh, yeah, but um, that's as much indicative of the situation in Atlanta as anything else. Well, I, but yeah. I'm, what I'm saying is Jimmy Garoppolo is a starting quarterback in the National Football League. He just is, because there are not. 32 guys better than he is based on everything he's done in his career. I, you're not going to convince me otherwise. I, I'm not going to try. No, I mean, that's it just fair. It blows me away how this guy has gotten so much hate when he's not been bad. And in the one place he was bad, he was doing it with a guy who's never won anywhere as a head coach. I think the biggest drawback to Garoppolo is the way he kind of broke on the scene with the Patriots and a lot of people were willing to anoint him as the next big thing well, in did. limited. Who was the other guy? Ryan Mallett? Didn't he get a big contract out mm -hmm. of and And so, again, in limited play, he did some good things. And so a lot of folks overvalued him, I think. And so as a result of that, I think there has been some backlash 
that he may or may not have deserved, but he has received. He's played two full seasons. In those two full seasons, he went 13 and 3 and 9 and 6. And, and like you said, you know. But both of those were in San Francisco. Yeah. So, I, I It'll know. be interesting to see where he winds up. Wherever he does wind up, he'll be able to participate in all off-season activities, all preseason activities. But once the regular season starts, he'll be barred from the premises for two weeks because of this suspension. So It's a silly suspension. It's a prescribed medication, but whatever. Well, the NFL is weird. That's well, all the say. NFL is weird, but you know the, they rules, got the rules too. Yep, you know the rules. Follow yep. them. Yep. Boom. Seems amazingly simple. Um, when we come back here on Main Street Sports today to the Lee Company Studios, we will be joined by the Hockey Muses and Kimmel, who hopefully will give us some insight into what took place last night at Bridgestone Arena and whether we should get used to it. So stay tuned here on Main Street Sports today presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. We will be right back. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. With Lee Company Technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company Techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods here in Columbia has been outfitting teams, officials, and anybody else from T-ball to college for 50-plus years. Be sure and check them out at 931-388-8060 or online at jonesandlang.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods, the look of a winner. Zion Christian Academy, zioneagles.org or 931-388-5731. You can schedule your appointment. Go toward their campus. It is beautiful over there, and you're definitely going to want to see it. Again, it's zioneagles.org. Give them a call, 931-388-5731, and schedule your tour today. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. Your favorite wine tasting experience is back. The Hendersonville Rotary Club's Wine and Roses Fundraising Gala. Everything you loved and more. Saturday, March the 2nd. Prepare your taste buds for elegant wines, smooth whiskeys, craft beers, and exceptional food. Browse through the silent auction. All to benefit over 25 local charities, schools, and scholarships. Wine and Roses. Saturday, March the 2nd at Our Lady of the Lake Catholic Church, Hendersonville. HendersonvilleRotary.org. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. 
Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. We thrive under the lights. The city of performers. Putting on one heck of a show. Headlining night after night. Welcome to Smashville. Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic service and our ortho quick walk-in clinic lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net. Welcome back to the weekend update edition of Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint, Chris Yao, Maurice Patton. And Chris, when you set this segment up, <laughs> we did not know just how bad the Predators were going to be or how bad they were going to look last night, for sure. We are now joined by Ann Kimmel of the Hockey News and co-host of Locked On Preds. And co-host of Locked On Preds. Um, and what did we see last night? Well, for one thing, thank you so much for inviting me on. Second of all, the timing really stinks for me, doesn't it? Because this is what we have to talk about. <laughs> we have to. Yeah, there's no way around nine to two. Yeah. No, that was having covered the Predators now for several years, of course, watched the Predators for years beyond that. That was probably the worst 20 minutes of hockey I have ever seen that team play. In the well, I hope it was. <laughs> I mean, it, it can only get one shot on goal worse. That's true. You know, I mean, when it, you give up 18 yeah. and only take one, that's that's pretty that's pretty rough. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there were times last year when we saw UC have some rough nights and, you know, we attributed part of it to, you know, some defensive breakdowns where he was facing some shots that he probably shouldn't have to face. But last night, and, and I, I beg a little ignorance, I didn't get to see the game because I was otherwise detained with high school basketball. But where where were the breakdowns? What were the breakdowns last night, particularly in that that one period? Yeah, it was a really, really bad period, like we said, for the Nashville Predators. Uh, UC Soros faced 18 shots. Dallas Stars got four goals by the end of the first 20 minutes. Soros has had an up and down season, and we can't ignore that, especially looking at the game last night. But if you break down those goals that he faced, there was a lot of defensive breakdowns in front of him, you know, and they happened repeatedly. 
Also, you look at puck possession in that first period. Dallas controlled that puck the whole time. You know, Nashville stick and that puck were like two of the opposite ends of magnets just repulsing each other in that period. They could not keep the puck on their sticks. They were turning it over in the neutral zone. They couldn't get out of the defensive zone. And that really puts UC Soros in a tough situation. After the game, Ryan McDonough, one of the defensemen, said, look, we absolutely hung both of those goaltenders out to dry, and they did. Uh, that has been, and Mo can attest, my biggest gripe with this franchise over the last five years is their inability to control the puck. It is insane how poorly they control the puck in the offensive zone and it, it, it just seems to me as, as if the, the, the Predators are playing defense 66% of the, uh, of the game every time they're on the ice. And eventually that's going to, to break down, not just last night, but as you wrote, wasting 40-plus saves from UC two games ago and losing. So it, it it's really just feels like this team – is a one-line team that if Forsberg and his line are not on the ice, the Predators are just on their heels skating backwards. How does this franchise fix that this season or does it? I think that's a great question, and I think that's a very fair assessment of what this season has been. This season, some of the players, the young players that the Predators were kind of banking were going to take a step forward, that hasn't happened necessarily. Now, growth in any league, in any sport, for any athlete, it's not linear. You don't continue to always improve every step of the way. But I think this has really caught the Predators off guard that these younger players really haven't taken an overall next step. And so you have relied on Forsberg, O'Reilly, and Nyquist to carry this team. Other teams know that. All you had to do to beat the Predators right now is shut down that top line. And the Predators cannot produce. And that's a real problem. I think you're going to see that problem addressed. I think that's going to be something that happens come the trade deadline. I think Barry Trotz knows that he's got to get more offensive firepower in this lineup. When you have Andrew Burnett bring in a system that's supposed to be offensively minded, we want to be about puck possession. We want to be about shots on goal. We want to be about quantity. And the Predators are playing where they are. You know this isn't the roster that's going to get it done. So I think there are going to have to be some changes. I think there's going to be the start of several seasons of changes for the Predators um, because this is not a contending team right now. This is not the team that's going to get it done. That said, and with the moves that were made at the trade deadline last year, didn't we kind of, or shouldn't we, have known that this wasn't going to be a contending team this time. You know, the way they played at the end of last season, notwithstanding, I mean, did we set ourselves up for disappointment this time around, given everything that took place down the stretch? 
Yeah, I think that's a fair question. You look at what happened at the trade deadline. I mean, the Predators were sellers at the trade deadline. And Barry Trotz was up front in the offseason, even with the additions of Nyquist and O'Reilly, Luke Shen. He was pretty open about the fact, look, this is a reset. Careful not to say the word rebuild. It's a reset. And this team is going to take some steps back before they take a step forward. So I feel like Barry Trotz did a good job kind of laying that out. I think the problem comes in when the Predators this season started to overperform. They played better than people thought. And all of the sudden, you're looking at a team that's in the wild card position. You're looking at a team that's getting some wins that maybe they shouldn't have gotten, but they got them. And you're saying, now, wait a minute. Maybe that maybe there's something here. And the bottom line is this isn't a team that was ever going to be a contender this season. This was a season where Barry Trotz was going to look at the roster that he had, with the UFAs on the roster this season and evaluate who do we keep and who do who goes. This, I feel like, is a season to evaluate what do we have in-house because we're going to have to go out of house eventually to get pieces to put this back together in two or three seasons. So I get why people feel that way, but I feel like we have to remember big picture. Barry Trotz warned us. We got our hopes up. We saw some really amazing things happen. And you kind of be, begin to think maybe we're closer than three seasons out, four seasons out. Well, I think the game last night and the way the Predators have played since the break is a good reminder. We're still probably on that original timeline. It's all our fault. It's all our fault. <laughs> you know, and, and here's the thing. There's still only four points out of the wild card. I mean, it's not like this team can't make the playoffs. It's not like they can't make the playoffs, but. Do you even want to try for a first round out? Uh, yeah, and that's the thing. And that being said, uh, hmm. the Predators, while sellers last year, could potentially be sellers this year, make – I don't know what they were thinking. What what in the world possessed Barry Trotz to go out and sign someone today on a two-year deal? Yeah, well, here's what I would say is that that deal was announced today. Uh, talked with Michael McCarron this morning and talked with Andrew Brunette this morning at Morning Skate, which, by the way, was a very um, pointed very hard morning skate after last night's game as well it should be and that uh deal for michael mccarran that's a deal that's been in the works since right around the same time that cole smith's deal was announced so the game that we saw last night they did timing see that is everything game. yeah timing is everything and and I, they didn't see that game last night and said you know what we got to do we got to sign michael they could have signed A.J. McCarron and, <laughs> and, and been in as good of a position at this point. I mean, yeah. yeah. The, the, the Battlehawks may have had an issue with that. Yeah. Did they make them skate until the press got tired this morning? I'll tell you what. This was one of those skates. <laughs> and usually after games, they, they have the day off. There was no day off. They were back to doing the drills that had them winded in uh, preseason and in training camp. They had them skating laps. My friends, they worked 
and worked and worked. Uh, and 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 the St. Louis Blues are are saying today, thank you, Andrew yeah. Burnett. Yeah. We'll That's take right. we'll take a very tired road trip weary predators on, on Saturday. Saturday at four Ab o'clock. Absolutely, yeah. Yep. Um Ann Kimmel with the hockey news and co-host of Locked On Predators joining us here on Main Street Sports today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. And you talked about the trade deadline, which is three weeks from today. Um, on these airwaves at various times this season, we have talked about a trade that may sound by some as blasphemous. Does UC Soros move? Great question. I, you know, I try to put a percentage on this, and I think it's difficult to say. UC Soros, this is what I will say. UC Soros will not be here if Barry Trotz gets a deal he likes. Barry Trotz is not going to be afraid to take a deal for UC Soros if it gives him a game-changing player by subtracting the game-changing player of UC Soros from the roster. Now, can that deal get done, I think, becomes a trickier question. I don't think that, that Barry Trotz is ignoring the phone calls. I think he's picking up his phone, especially with the way this team's played since the break. I think he's going to talk to people. I think he's going to see what is out there for UC Soros. And if he can get the right fit, I can see him absolutely pulling the trigger on that. I just don't know if that deal can materialize for Soros. And, and I think part of the reason that there's a question as to whether or not that deal can materialize for Soros is because of his inconsistent play. Right. Yeah. This has been the uh, statistically Soros' worst season, um, and he has been inconsistent. We know he starts slow. I always refer to him as a crockpot. He's not a microwave. He starts the season and it takes some time to get Soros warmed up. But usually once he gets going, you'll only see a game here or there where he really struggles. This season, it's been different. There have been far more games and far more up and downs in Soros' season this year. The one thing I will say is that general managers tend to look at a whole body of work. And I think that Soros's whole body of work speaks well for him. I also mm -hmm. think at this point right now in the league, you don't have to necessarily have that um, phenomenal game stealing goaltender in a playoff run. You need a really good goaltender. And even with his inconsistency, that's who you see Soros is. So I think teams are still going to be interested in him. I just think they're going to have to put a lot on the table for Barry Trotz to say, yes, we're going to do this deal. Well, and we've asked this at different points throughout the season. We've asked it of Pete Weber, of Willie Donick, and we'll ask it of you, Ann Kimmel. The Predators have a good problem. They can either get a load for UC Soros or they can extend UC Soros and get a pretty good haul back for Yaroslav Askarov. Right. They have a really solid goaltending option here. So what is more likely? Soros is extended and Askarov is traded or Askarov moves up and Soros is out? I'm actually going to throw a third option into right. that. 
and say, it wouldn't shock me if the predators signed Saros and brought Askarov up and kept both of them, which seems crazy because you're looking at your two best, you're looking at your two best trade pieces right there. Mm-hmm. You know, Saros and Askarov, those are your two best players that other teams are going to want. So Barry Trotz is going to have to decide, do I need another piece back as much as I want to keep consistency and want to develop a scar off slowly and methodically? I think probably if it comes down to if they have to get rid of one or another, I think that Saros will probably be traded. I really do believe this franchise is invested in Yaroslav Askarov. I think they believe that while he is extraordinarily unconventional in net, he really is going to be the future of the franchise. And I and I believe that he is going to be the piece that they're going to probably want to hang on to. Well, I mean, and here's the thing is that's exactly what they did with UC. Right. I mean, exactly. keeping UC Soros was was unconventional for for David Poyle, knowing that you had Pecorine for a while while UC sat and and waited and and was great. You know, obviously on on those off days when when Pekka needed a day off, you got great goaltending from UC Soros. And this, you know, if if they if they extend Soros and keep Askarov, I. I and you're looking at a a team that's ready to go in two years that can compete, you have no off nights in goal. None, none. And that's huge. It also prevents kind of rushing Askarov, who, look, I am going to tell you, this is a a young player who is going to be an NHL goaltender. But I think what you have to wonder about with Askarov is how much refining is going to have to happen to the way that he plays goalie you know, to get him consistently in the NHL. I don't know how much they can refine. You know, I always say a scar off is going to a scar off. Like he is a verb (laughs) and he does what he does in net. But I think it's good to take time and kind of figure out what do you really need to refine about the way he plays goaltending, get goaltender and what can he keep? And how is that going to adjust to the NHL level where you are facing Nikita Kucherov, you are facing Connor McDavid. So I think it's not a bad option really to do the Rene Saros thing again. I would be here for that, but I know that also takes two of your best trade pieces off of the table. It's certainly going to be interesting to watch, particularly if we have to, um, stomach many more nine two nights but um ann kimmel of the hockey news joining us here on main street sports today presented by mid tennessee bone and joint and really appreciate your insight and um, look forward to having you on with us again to talk more preds love it thanks so much guys for having me on i appreciate it thank you hey when we come back here on main street sports today presented by mid tennessee bone and joint um gonna talk a little hoops both at the collegiate and professional level and one professional situation in particular has kind of um, come onto our radar and we're going to dive into it a little bit, maybe expose ourselves because y'all know we don't talk a lot of NBA, but we're going to take our best shot. There you go. Boom. Let's go. Stay tuned.
Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. Your favorite wine tasting experience is back. The Hendersonville Rotary Club's Wine and Roses Fundraising Gala. Everything you loved and more. Saturday, March the 2nd. Prepare your taste buds for elegant wines, smooth whiskeys, craft beers, and exceptional food. Browse through the silent auction. All to benefit over 25 local charities, schools, and scholarships. Wine and Roses. Saturday, March the 2nd at Our Lady of the Lake Catholic Church, Hendersonville. HendersonvilleRotary.org. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. With Lee Company Technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company Techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you, no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. Piggly Wiggly, located in Neely's Mill Shopping Center, is Columbia's locally owned and operated Cost Plus 10 grocery store dedicated to serving the community with low prices and smiling faces. Piggly Wiggly offers fresh, hand-cut meats daily as well as daily hot plate lunches from their deli counter. You're certain to see smiling faces and a helping hand when you're here at Piggly Wiggly. Come by and check out our fresh produce, high-quality meats, and more. Down home, down the street, we'll see you at the Pig. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic service, and our ortho quick walk-in clinic lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net. Welcome back to the Weekend Update edition of Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. I'm Maurice Patton. That's Chris Yao. Um, NBA All-Star Weekend. And we've got a local involved in some of the activities, I guess. We do, in fact. Brandon Miller has been named part of the Panini Rising Stars game, and that will uh, be featuring first- and second-year players playing against G League players or... Something to that effect. Something to that effect. I don't think they're necessarily playing against them. I think they're they're all in a pool. 
Yeah. Or maybe maybe the G League or G Leaguers are all on one team. Yeah, I don't. And know. there's three other teams, captained by Pau Gasol, Tamika Catchings, and Jalen Rose. Um, Kane Ridge's Brandon Miller now in his rookie season with Charlotte is on the Pau Gasol team. So, um, apparently they are going to play two semifinal games and then those Ooh. two will play each other for the Panini Rising Stars Championship. You know who else is on the Pau Gasol team? Wimby. Be interesting. Yeah. Um, let's see. Jalen Duran, formerly of Memphis, is on Team Tamika, along with Jaden Ivey, both from Detroit. Um, and, and Vince Williams Jr., the only Grizzlies yeah, player in the in, in the weekend. Yeah. So um, that the Panini Rising Stars tournament starts at eight o'clock tonight, and can be seen on TNT. Um, I don't think the All Star Weekend could get here soon enough. Yeah, because I can for, tell you who's not a rising star in the NBA right now. <laughs> The stars are falling for Doc Rivers. The stars are most definitely falling. The sky falling. is falling. The yeah. sky is falling. Well, you know, and, and I, I kind of hate this for Doc Rivers. I don't hate but, it for the Milwaukee Bucks, though. Boom. Boom. <laughs> yes. Go ahead. Finish that thought. No, that's uh, – look, this is, this is complete this – is, this is instant karma at its finest here. And, and, and it's unfortunate that Doc Rivers is on the other side of this because I do like Doc. And I think mm -hmm. he's, you know, he, he's done some great things in this league. But not, if not anyone, in the last ten games. If though. anyone needs, needed to be humbled, it's the Milwaukee Bucks. Goodness gracious. Okay, so you've heard us talk about this over the last two or three weeks. On January 24th, I believe it was, the Milwaukee Bucks fired first-year head coach Adrian Griffin. He was 30-13 and 13 at the time that they fired him. The Bucks were second in the Eastern Conference, and Adrian Griffin would be coaching the Eastern Conference All-Stars this weekend had he not been fired. Instead, Doc Rivers will be coaching said team because... They are the, I guess Boston's coaching staff couldn't coach because they coached in the All-Star game last year. So it goes to the next best team, which is still the Milwaukee Bucks, despite going three and seven under Doc Rivers. Milwaukee's lost three games this year by 20 points or more. Two of them have been in the last 10 games since Doc Rivers took over. And last night, last night wasn't just bad in Nashville. It was. Well, it was bad for Milwaukee in Memphis, I guess. The game was in Memphis, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Grizzlies defeated the Bucks 113-109. One, yeah. Let me go look. Yeah, 110-113-110. But as we talked earlier this week with Pete Pranica, this is not a great Memphis team. This is not even a good Memphis team, let's be honest. This is great. Great is not even close. Yeah. Okay. They're just not, and it's not. It's a simple fact of players. I mean, they they don't have their A team on the floor. This is. I'm a, not sure they have their B team on. The right. Floor. This this is a patchwork group of, you know, of guys who really have no business playing 
meaningful minutes in the NBA at this moment in their career. I mean, Trey Jemison has no reason to be playing in, at the NBA level, and yet he was a big reason last night the Grizzlies get a win over the Bucks. The Grizzlies moved to 20 and 36 with that win. That was their ninth game in 15 days. And they were without, either by injury or by trade, eight folks that, you know, they expected to have on the roster during the preseason by now. Yeah, tough, tough night for the Bucks. Anytime that you lose to, the, to this Grizzlies team, is, you're, you're, you're going to face some criticism. And when you're, what, three and, what did you say, three and seven? Three and seven under Doc. They were 30 and 13 at the time Adrian Griffin was fired. They are now 35 and 21. So they have gone five and eight since then. Yeah. It's, it's not been pretty, like you said. First play of the game, we gamble for the 50th time in the corner. Guy drives, we have to help, leads to a three. On our set, two guys forget what we're running. Then we miss the shot and nobody gets back. That's how we start the third quarter. That tells you all you need to know about where our heads were. We had some guys here. We had some guys in Cabo. That was Doc Rivers after that 113-110 loss last night to Memphis. And I'll be honest. If, if I were playing Memphis, my mind probably would have been in Cabo too. Yeah, but... Uh, no, they I, drive Mercedes too, right? I mean, Trey Jemison drives a Honda Acura, and yeah, that's two different. That's how that uh, he's got just two different cars, <laughs> like <laughs> split together. <laughs> like I mean, that's uh, no. This guy plays in Desoto County. <laughs> no, he doesn't drive Mercedes. I, I would be surprised if. It, if he can fill his gas tank up with gas prices right now. I mean, seriously, like this they is... They are going up. I yeah. mean, it's it's insane to think that the Milwaukee Bucks... But, I mean, clearly you can't throw your shoes out on the floor and walk off with a victory. Clearly in the NBA. not. Clearly Last not. night's starting lineup for G Memphis... or not. G.G. Jackson, baby. Santi Aldama, Zaire Williams... Trey Jemison, Vince Williams Jr., and Jordan Goodwin were the Memphis starters last night. None of those players has been in the NBA longer than since 2021, and only one was taken in the first 25 picks of their drafts, Vince Williams Jr. So. There you go. Um, what's going to happen with the Bucks? Does Doc Rivers make it to the end of the season? Are they going to pay four four coaches? I just don't know. The, I mean, if you're the Milwaukee Bucks, do you have the self-awareness to make another move? Can you afford to make another move? I mean, what does that say for you? Because one, again, Doc Rivers was available when you hired Adrian Griffin. Adrian Griffin if went he 30 was and the 13. Fifth, Adrian Griffin was 30 and 13. <laughs> Look, man, I didn't get this. I hope he's still living in Milwaukee. I hope he's still going to every game. <laughs> oh, he's got season tickets. Make, making, them look, making them look at him. <laughs> You're going to have to see me because oh I was 30 gosh. and 13 with the same guys. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, some things just defy explanation, and this would certainly be one of those. This was supposed to be a grab bag, Chris. 
Yeah, let's uh, let's at least mention these uh, Hall of Famers. Yeah, let's do because the University of Tennessee Athletics Hall of Fame class was announced yesterday. They will be inducting seven members over the final weekend in April, April 26th and 27th. And one of them in particular, well, two of them, particularly bear mentioning the pride of Pulaski, Sheila Frost, who was a member of the Lady Vols national championship teams in 1987 and 89. Um, part of a senior class that remains one of only two in school history to make NCAA Final Four appearances in four straight seasons. Um, UT won SEC tournament championships in 89, I'm sorry, 88 and 89. Uh, they went 118 and 21 over her career and went 27 and nine in league play. Sheila Frost averaged double digits in points all four years of her career, <laughs> led the team in rebound in three years, was a three-time All-SEC first-team selection, um, and is one of only six UT women's basketball players ever to notch 1,000 points and 1,000 rebounds in her career. She will be part of this class, along with former Pearl Cone standout John Henderson, um, two-time All-American as both a junior and a senior for UT, um, defensive MVP in the Citrus Bowl as UT defeated Michigan 45-17, uh, and a half career sacks, which is still number seven in Vol history, and was picked by the Jaguars in the first round, ninth overall in the 2002 NFL Draft. Two-time Pro Bowler over 10 NFL seasons. Um, the rest of the induction class will include Sarah Feckety Bailey from softball. Who is now the head softball coach at Alcoa. Led them to the state tournament last year. Long-time track and field slash cross-country coach Stan Huntsman, who um, passed away in November of 2016. Um, volleyball standout Julie Kintich, you think? K-Y-N-T-Y-C-H. We're going to roll with that. Sure. Yeah, I, yeah. Your, your guess is as good as mine. Um, golfer Ann Baker Furrow. Nittich? <laughs> I, I, I got nothing. Golfer Ann Baker Furrow, who played on the men's golf team at UT in 1964 and 65, and was the first women's golfer at UT. Um, and legacy inductee, Jim Haslam. So those seven will be recognized again over the weekend of April 26th and 27th on Hall of Fame weekend in Knoxville. So congratulations to all of them. When we come back here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint, we will be joined by Titan insider Terry McCormick. Things are starting to slow down a little bit finally out at St. Thomas Sports Park, but there was one final surge this week. We'll talk to Terry about that when we come back.
thrive under the lights. A city of performers. Putting on one heck of a show. Headlining night after night. Welcome to Smashville. Since 1975, Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint Clinic has treated the orthopedic needs of Middle Tennessee residents. The trained physicians provide surgical options and minimally invasive options to treat all orthopedic needs. The walk-in clinic, OrthoQuick, helps you bypass the ER while treating sports injuries and acute needs Monday through Saturday. Visit MTBJ online at mtbj.net or on social media at Mid-Tennessee Bone Joint Clinic. I'm Maurice Patton, and on Main Street Sports Today, we bring you the voices of your favorite teams from preps to pros. Um, otherwise known as the VOT, Mike Keith. The, the bottom line is, we can teach Will Levis woke. I just don't know who's going to work with you on your base stealing now that he lies. <laughs> well, that has nowhere to go but up. And I was just like, oh, guys, not again. Can we just bury that, burn that footage, and not bring it back? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, we'll uh, we'll keep it going past the All-Star break. And uh, looking forward to seeing how the rest of the season plays out. There's always a good story to tell. Can you guess where I am today, Mo? Where, where am I? It's, it's Reece not Reece Smith Field. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Because anytime you play Chicago, you want to win. That's you, just you got that right. And when you're walking the dog, you keep the bags that you need for the dog in the bag and you don't even have to wear it. You can just hold it, which is what I do when I walk the dog. So I think I think the fanny pack probably needed a little rebranding. <laughs> it did. So, it really um, did. It, it, on your show logo, we've got to get a puck in there. There's a basketball, there's a football, oh. there's a baseball. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not a buck. How about Mo brandishes a hockey stick? Tune in daily at 2 p.m. on Main Street Media TV. Welcome back to the second hour of the weekend update here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. I'm Maurice Patton, that's Chris Yao, and we are now joined by Titan Insider, Terry McCormick. Terry's got a nice piece up on the website, titaninsider.com, comparing the franchise's current quarterback to other franchise quarterbacks, or Franchise quarterbacks, yeah, maybe, but um, former quarterbacks within the franchise. Well, <laughs> this is like on campus, yeah, basketball. Arenas. Exactly, Terry. Thanks for coming in with us here on this Friday. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, I, I took the angle of wanting to kind of delve into what I've seen from Will Levis over his first half a season as a starter. And then kind of compare that to the other guys that they've drafted, you know, that that being uh, Vince Young, Jake Locker, uh, Marcus Mariota, Zach Mettenberger, Malik Willis. You know, it's a pretty long list of guys that they've gone after over the years with very mixed results. And 
certainly some of those guys had more success than others, and none of them really developed into a true franchise quarterback. And the truth is, at the little bit of time that I've seen Levis, he really feels different in terms of how he approaches the game, uh, how uh, you know seemingly sharp he is in terms of picking things up, and even in just dealing with the media and things like that, you know, all those things, uh, whether you, you know, some of them big things, some of them small things, go into being a franchise quarterback. And that's not to say that Levis doesn't have plenty to learn and plenty to improve upon based on nine games this year, because I think we all can see, and I think Levis would probably be the first to admit that he has to be better than he was as a rookie. Uh, for the, for this team to go where it, uh, it needs to go and for him to develop into a franchise quarterback. But uh, the thing of it is, when you look at the totality of what the Titans have had over the years, it seemed like none of the guys that they have drafted, all of them had some characteristics of a franchise quarterback. For instance, you couldn't get much more clutch than the way Vince Young played his first year in the league. Would you agree with that? I mean, the guy, mm-hmm. the guy had a knack for doing the dramatic and doing the amazing. But then when you looked at things like his accuracy, his footwork, and sometimes you know his decision-making on and off the field, uh, that's where he fell short. And I think, uh, you know, as you go through and you look at each of those guys, whether it was Locker or Mariota or Mettenberger, uh, you know, Every one of them had something that kept them from being a franchise quarterback. Yeah, some of them more than others, obviously. But, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, how do you feel like, strictly based on first year, I guess, and this may not be a fair comparison given what each of them had to work with, but how do you feel like Levis as a first-year quarterback in this franchise, with this franchise, compares to other first-year quarterbacks with this franchise, particularly, you know, McNair, Young, Mariota? Right. Well, I would say that, you know, obviously McNair is the standard, but then I, I... brought that up at the beginning of the article because I purposely left Steve out of the conversation because, you know, he did develop into a franchise quarterback and we kind of wanted to look at the other guys and why they did. But when you think about Steve McNair and his legacy here, he was drafted in 1995 by the Oilers and sat for the better part of two full years to learn to grasp and soak in everything that went into being a quarterback. And then he became a starter in 97. And that was the first year in Tennessee. That was the Memphis year. And went through all the stuff, you know, the move, the playing at Vanderbilt, the new stadium, the Super Bowl run in 99, all the good and all the bad he went through it. And there were some rough spots for Steve, you know. Uh, I mean, let's, let's be honest. There were some rough spots for Steve you know, in the early years as a starter, but you saw flashes of him, like that big long run in Tampa Bay in in 98, or the comeback that he led against Cincinnati in the first game in the new stadium. And then, of course, 
you know, the standard of that is probably that final drive of the Super Bowl, even though it came up a yard short. I don't think anyone could fault the way Steve McNair played on that drive. But, and this is where McNair differs from today's quarterbacks. The Titans didn't fully hand him the keys to the offense until Eddie George couldn't do it anymore as consistently as he had. They were a run-based team up through halfway through the 2001 season when Mike Hammerdinger went to Jeff Fisher and said, it's time. We're not getting the production out of Eddie because of the injury. It's time to hand Steve the keys to the offense and let things run through him. Great decision because the next year he took him to the AFC Championship game. The year after that, he was a co-MVP of the league. But you think about that. He fully blossomed in 2002. He was drafted in 1995. No quarterback nowadays gets eight years to prove themselves. I mean, if you're not showing something by your third year, teams are ready to move on from you. So Steve was fortunate that he got the opportunity to fully go through all the rough patches and not have to fast track things. And I think, you know, that made him a better player. But today's NFL won't allow you to do that because – of the money tied up in guys and won't allow you to do that because owners are, you know, eager to win. Coaches are on the hot seat. If they're, you know, if they're going through, you know, I mean, let's be honest, most organizations would not have stuck with Jeff Fisher through all the eight and eights, but Bud Adams did. And Steve McNair, Eddie George, and the Titans benefited from Bud being actually patient through the process of the move and everything that, went into play so that set aside with steve the other quarterbacks you know we we talked about vince i fully believe that what kept marcus mariota from becoming a franchise quarterback was that leg injury that he suffered at the end of his second season if you look at his numbers from 2016 he was well on his way to becoming a star 26 touchdowns nine interceptions uh had taken a team that was 3-13 and and had the number one pick the year before that traded it away, obviously. But 3-13 and to 9-7 and and on the cusp of a playoff berth. I mean, that's, you know, that's the same type thing that uh, C.J. Stroud was hailed for this year, and rightfully so. Marcus Mariota was on the cusp of doing just that. And then when he had the broken leg, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was because he didn't want to get hit, if it messed up his footwork, if it, you know, if things just kind of went south, if Vrabel's system was too different from what Malarkey had. But for whatever reason, things went south quickly after that injury for Mariota. Yeah, it's a, you know, there are two ways that this can go. Obviously, I feel like this staff that Brian Callahan has put together. And Brian Callahan said he took this job in part because of Will Levis. So you feel like Will Levis is going to get the benefit of the doubt from Brian Callahan now. Uh, it, it appears that everything is kind of in place for this franchise to get started in, in you know this spring and with off-season workouts. It, where... You know, where do you see the quarterback situation lining up after Will Levis? Is Malik Willis going to be on on the team is, I mean, I don't see why he wouldn't, but does he really fit a Brian Callahan type system? Uh, do they draft a quarterback? A lot of folks thinking they may draft one. What What's the deal there? 
I don't think they'll draft one. I think they, they could possibly go out and get one of these veteran backup guys, a Jacoby Brissett, Tyrod Taylor, Gardner Minshew type of guy that could step in and be a capable replacement for a few games. I mean, heck, Josh Dobbs. You know, why not bring him back? You know, he's he's going to be available. He'd be a great number two and a, and a great leader in the quarterback room for two young guys, uh, one of whom already knows him. As far as Malik Willis goes, I'll say this. I think, you know, the sands are running through the hourglass for him. And I think he needs to really show something. It, it actually may benefit him that a new guy is coming in that is going to give him a fresh start. Uh, if he shows something in the offseason, shows something in the preseason, then there's no reason not to keep him. He's on a cheap rookie contract. And then you saw what Callahan was able to do with an unproven guy like Jake Browning. Got pretty good mileage out of that guy. And he was probably, you know, a guy that nobody knew very much about and certainly uh, wasn't a guy who was heralded and that sort of thing. So uh, I think there's a chance that this could be a new lease on life for Malik Willis. And, and if he does a good job, why wouldn't you keep him around and, and make him your number two quarterback and let him continue to grow and develop? Terry McCormick, the Titan Insider. You can find his work at titaninsider.com. And um, Terry, this week, you got a chance to, to spend some time with Brian Callahan's new offensive and defensive coordinators as he pretty well firmed up and finalized his coaching staff here over the last week or so. You know, what did you like about what those guys had to say and what do you like about this revamped sta uh, staff? Well, I'll say this, their personalities couldn't have been more different, but they both seemed like that they knew what they were doing. I mean, when you talk to Denard Wilson, I mean, you know, this guy was fired up, you know, he, he, you know, he probably had some of the media ready to go out and hit somebody, <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he was, you know, talking and you know that he grew up in the, uh, Greg Williams, Todd Bowles school of defense, where you go after it. You don't let the offense dictate to you, you dictate to them. Uh, his most recent stint, was with the Baltimore Ravens as defensive backs coach. And his he plans on employing some of that attacking style to the defense and hopefully create turnovers. This is a team that forced only 13 turnovers all season long, seven fumble recoveries and six interceptions. That won't get it done in the league. I don't care how good you are in the red zone. If you're not forcing turnovers and you're not getting off the field and giving your offense a chance to work with a short field, you're putting yourself behind the eight ball. And I think Denard Wilson, even though he, like Brian Callahan, is a first-time play caller, I think he's going to bring kind of a renewed sense of urgency to the defense. And over on the offensive side of the ball, it's a little harder to get a read on Nick Holtz because Brian Callahan's going to be the play caller. He's going to assume that role that Callahan had in Cincinnati. And so it was a little – Harder to get a read on him. You get the feeling that his job is to help put the game plan together, get the hay in the barn, so to speak, so that on Sunday, Brian Callahan can make the calls and not have to wonder, you know, are we 
confident with this? Are we comfortable with that? And then also to uh, oversee the development of a lot of young players, you know, not just Will Levis, but Tajay Spears, Peter Skaronsky, a lot of these guys that, uh, you know, will be coming in this year in the draft and some of these guys who are free agents. It's going to be his job to work with the position coaches at each spot and mold those guys into something cohesive. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Nick Holtz does with uh, what is presented to him. And then there's also reports out today that they have hired a special teams coach, uh, Colt Anderson, uh, previously assistant special teams coach with the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. So they're another familiar guy to Brian Callahan and also another guy uh, probably first time in that position. So a very young staff all the way around that's got to grow together from the head coach through all three coordinators. A couple of names that, you know, kind of have some familiarity to local folks, I guess. Um, Tracy Rocker, who is back for a second stint with the Titans, who, you know, obviously played at Auburn and and has coached across the SEC as well. And Jackson, born and raised, Bo Hardegree, the new quarterbacks coach. That's true. And then you've got those two, plus you've also got uh, two other guys who are uh, recycled through. Frank Bush, the linebackers coach, has been here two other times, once in Houston, once on Mike Munchak's staff with the Titans. And then you got Steve Jackson, who played on the Titans Super Bowl team and uh, went into coaching shortly thereafter. And he's kind of made a good name for himself around the league as a defensive backs coach. He'll be the uh, safeties coach and oversee the secondary. So interesting, you know, these guys, I mean, part agree I'm interested to, uh, you know, get in touch with because, you know, his father was the coach when I worked in Jackson at the Jackson Sun. He was the coach at Lambeth, and then later on, I think he was at maybe at Northside, USJ, maybe both of them. So uh, interesting that, uh, you know, a lot of these guys on this staff, it seems like, one of whom obviously is Brian Callahan, uh, come from coaching backgrounds and it runs in the family. And have a little familiarity with Nashville and the Titans, which is always good. Yeah, you would think so, yeah. Um, Terry McCormick, Titan Insider. Again, you can see his work at titaninsider.com. Terry, thanks for jumping in with us here on a Friday and giving us a little update. You know, what's the next thing that you kind of look forward to with the Titans here at this point? Well, I think uh, the start of the off-season program, obviously the next big thing is going to be the combine, which will be in a couple of weeks. And so uh, looking forward to going up there, kind of seeing what's going on with uh, the prospects. And it's also a good place to kind of, you know, shake hands and mingle and talk to people and uh, kind of get some uh, build up as far as what's going on around the league and, uh, you know, and hopefully get some insight there. We look forward to you coming back and sharing that insight with us here on Main Street Sports today. So thanks again, and we'll be catching up. All right. Have a good weekend, guys. Thanks. We'll try. <laughs> we will. <laughs> when we come back here on Main Street Sports today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint, we've got a little college football to talk about because there is no off season. There's no off season. Absolutely. So stay with us. We'll be back after this break in the Lee Company studios.
Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. With Lee Company Technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company Techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you, no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods here in Columbia has been outfitting teams, officials, and anybody else from T-ball to college for 50-plus years. Be sure and check them out at 931-388-8060 or online at jonesandlang.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods, the look of a winner. Zion Christian Academy, zioneagles.org or 931-388-5731. You can schedule your appointment. Go toward their campus. It is beautiful over there, and you're definitely going to want to see it. Again, it's zioneagles.org. Give them a call, 931-388-5731, and schedule your tour today. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. Your favorite wine tasting experience is back. The Hendersonville Rotary Club's Wine and Roses Fundraising Gala. Everything you loved and more. Saturday, March the 2nd. Prepare your taste buds for elegant wines, smooth whiskeys, craft beers, and exceptional food. Browse through the silent auction. All to benefit over 25 local charities, schools, and scholarships. Wine and Roses. Saturday, March the 2nd at Our Lady of the Lake Catholic Church, Hendersonville. HendersonvilleRotary.org. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. Live under the lights. A city of performers. Putting on one heck of a show. Headlining night after night. Welcome to Smashville. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic service, and our ortho quick walk-in clinic lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net. I was going to say, are you on? I'm not. Well, okay. The, the microphone was on. It just wasn't on you. On me. Yeah, there okay. we go. Welcome back to the Weekend Update Edition of Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. That's Chris Yao with his mic on. And I'm Maurice Patton, and now you can hear me. 
Um, Chris, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before. I guess it was the day before, and we just didn't get a chance to talk about it yesterday. But um, word started to come out of Atlanta. Georgia State needs a football coach. That's two days, football coach. Two days into spring football practice. Mm. Because Sean Elliott decided that he wanted to step down and accept an assistant coaching position at South Carolina, which is where he had been. In fact, he served as interim coach over South Carolina when Steve Spurrier re resigned, retired, mid-season, a few years back. Um, 41 and 44 in seven seasons, five bowl appearances. And spring practice has been placed on hold while the Panthers go through a coaching search. I don't know how coaches can preach loyalty to everybody else and Two days into spring practice, somebody decides to step away. Not for health reasons, just to go take something else, somewhere else, where they don't have to deal with NIL and the transfer portal and that kind of thing. Is that what he said? I don't know that he said it. I have, a, I have another theory as to why a coach would leave Georgia State to be a position coach in the Power Five. No, well, that's part of it, no. Mm -hmm. In case you guys haven't been paying attention to college sports, there is an impending split hmm. in collegiate athletics. Between the haves and the have-nots? And you better be in the Power Five while you can get in it. Hmm. That's just the bottom line. It's extremely difficult to step away from the Georgia State football program, particularly the players and staff who have gone above and beyond. As hard as this decision is professionally, it's something that I must do personally. And, and we don't know. His, I mean, his, you know, his grandma may have cancer or something. I don't know. I mean, seriously, I don't know. Yeah, seriously, we don't know. You, you are absolutely right. We do not know. It just. But I think I, I, if we are concerned with optics at all, it's not a good look. I can't imagine. Uh, yeah, I think I think you need to tell people what that personal reason is. If there's a good reason. Well, I mean, if there's not a good reason, then well, you just say it's personal and move on, and maybe it's not. And, a good and leave folks to defend you because they don't know. Because they don't know. Yeah. So I don't, but but uh, again, I think that this is a situation where much like coaches at the Power Five level are going to the NFL, I think coaches who can get as high up in the coaching ranks as they possibly can get at the highest level they can get are going to take those jobs because there is an impending split. It's and, and good, bad, or ugly, that's just where we're at now. It's just tough for, you know, 
a program, a university like a Georgia State to just be going around, you know, minding its own business and all of a sudden getting tapped in the forehead with a sledgehammer of a coaching search in February. Yeah. After signing day. Both signing days. In the middle of spring. In the middle, literally. Well, in the middle of spring practice. In the middle of spring practice, you can't leave. I mean, it's it, it's an unfortunate situation for those for those kids. Um, looking at an article on the Athletic, the current college sports environment has made all Group of Five jobs even more difficult. Elliott was frustrated with the difficulty in retaining players. Georgia State in this recent transfer cycle lost all Sunbelt players like running back Marcus Carroll to Missouri and wide receiver Robert Lewis to, to Auburn. The next coach will take over a roster without those stars. Well, I'd be frustrated with that too. Yeah. I mean, and, and, that, and that is kind of, you know, we talked about this with Laura Miller and MTSU and, you know, the dealings that, that Jeff Breeden has to deal with. And, 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 you know, and then you see – you see players who consistently move up and then end up not playing much or something happens and you know and you know they they're certainly not all conference players like they were previously mm -hmm. and just you know I, I get being frustrated with that but I, I don't know I just feel like I feel like We've got to we've got to wait it out. We've got to tough it out for a little bit of time to let this thing play out. And maybe that's the case. Maybe it's you know maybe in four or five years he's like, okay, now that we know where college sports is going to be for the next decade, I can go be a head coach again. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I do feel. I feel bad for these coaches. I feel bad for these players because it's not just it's not just the coaches who are suffering. It's also, you know, the players who who decided to be at Georgia State and now they've got to play a Sunbelt schedule in one of the toughest G5 conferences without their two best players. Or without the guy that they signed up to play for. And now without the – yeah, but, I mean, previously, previous to that, mm -hmm. I mean, they were going to have to go into into a conference with a, you know, you thought you were signing to play with Georgia State, third best team in the Sun Belt, and now who They're knows less. where you are. Maybe, maybe they are as good, but you don't know that. I don't know. Elliot is the fifth FBS head coach to leave for an assistant job this offseason. Also, um, you know, we talked about Jeff Halfley leaving Boston College to take a D.C. position with Green Bay. Um, Chip Kelly going to Ohio State as O.C. from UCLA. And that had nothing to do with the transfer portal in NIL, though. <laughs> well, it, it might have had something to do with somebody's NIL. Maybe Ohio State's. Well, I mean, he, he just saw the writing on the wall that he was getting fired eventually. Might as well get out while he could kind of yeah. thing, I guess. I don't know. but. And obviously, head coaches Kane Womack at South Alabama and Maurice Linguist at Buffalo joining Kalen DeBoer down at Alabama. So um, some interesting names, I think, 
mentioned as potential replacements for Sean Elliott at Georgia State. Um, Kerwin Bell from Western, Western no! Carolina. The, uh, the, the, the person pictured in the Orlando Thunder uh, card that always gets put out when we talk about bad uniforms from the World League of American <laughs> Football. Um, LSU co-offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach Cortez Hankton. Um, DC defenders coach Reggie Barlow. 49 and 42 at Alabama State and 34 and 16 at Virginia State. He's a good coach. Yeah, he was 9 and 1 with the Defenders last year reaching the XFL Championship game. Now, losing now did to they the losing record. Now did they um did they survive the merger? Okay. I knew oh, yeah. you would know. The the beer snake survives. They make a snake of beer cups mm -hmm. in the yeah, it's great. Duke running backs coach Willie Simmons. He can't That's, do that, can he? No. Okay. God, could you imagine if he did? Uh, yeah. Here's one for you, though. Arkansas running backs coach Jimmy Smith. Interesting. Who is not just running backs coach, but he's also associate head coach at Arkansas. After playing in the late 90s, early 2000s at Tennessee State. It's quarterback for the Tigers. So, coached at the high school level in at Cedar Grove. I was gonna say, he's from Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Well, he, he's from South Carolina, but he spent um, 12 seasons at Cedar Grove okay. and was on the staff at Georgia State when they defeated UT his back so you know the best thing about georgia state is you get to coach in turner field you get to coach in turner field and you get to recruit in atlanta yeah that's helpful yeah yeah should be um it'll be interesting but i, I just don't think you know making a hire at this late date man it's not a great thing it's not easy to do I, I'm sure they'll find someone willing to do it. Rush Probst is available. I'm not sure he can go back to Georgia at this point. Probably arrest him on site. Goodness gracious. But I, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm imagining Rush Probst <laughs> at the collegiate level. It's, he's finally going to be able to recruit legally. The Pac-12 made an announcement earlier today. George Klyavkov and the conference have parted ways. Oh, yeah, they have. Yeah. yeah. In an alleged mutually agreed upon <laughs> parting of the ways. That mutually agreed upon thing is, is, I always get a kick out of that. You know, we should, we should part. Yes, yes, we should. <laughs> You know what? It's not working out for us. It's really not working out no, for it's, me either. Yeah, no, it's, it's not. You're right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I, I will gladly give up my paycheck. 
No. We will gladly let you. Yeah. No, it, it, <laughs> no, I don't think that's the way that conversation goes at all. Yeah. So, um, I, look, the Pac-2 and George Klyakov were never, ever getting ever, back together. <laughs> exactly, getting back together. That they were done from the moment that that Washington State and Oregon State took over the board. What I find interesting is. I'm not sure what Oregon State and Washington State have planned, but I can tell you Whatever this. Whatever they have planned, it don't involve George Klyavikov. Well, here's, you know, here's the thing. We were told before and during parts of last football season that there were some streaming options for the Pac-12 that they were less than thrilled about. Since that time, Amazon Prime has invested in Major League Baseball and Valley Sports. <laughs> WWE has moved to Netflix. Peacock streamed exclusively last night Caitlin Clark's record-ish breaking performance. Let's see. Oh, Bleacher Report Sports is now on HBO Max doing live sports. Peacock also had an NFL playoff game that was exclusive, exclusive. to Peacock. Streaming can work. And is there a better part of the country to be in if you're talking about tech savvy fans of your teams than the West Coast? I mean, this, it really feels like there's a chance that the Pac-2 could save this thing somehow with a streaming deal. Now, I'm sure it would be contingent upon XYZ. But if you get the right commissioner in there, someone who has some savvy to the tech world. Someone like the guy you just got rid of? Well, Kliakoff is, that guy was never going to be able to negotiate the deal that was necessary. Although I think he did a pretty good job of trying to save it on the backside. And again, Kliakoff was not the reason that, that the Pac-12 denied the TV deals that were given to them. Arizona was part of the reason that they nixed some of those deals. USC and UCLA nixed two deals and then left. So it, but Kliakoff not being able to sell it to the presidents was the problem. It wasn't the getting the deals. Mm -hmm. You need someone who can sell it to the teams and the, and the institutions. And he wasn't that guy. Well, and I wonder if it's a case of him not being the guy or if that just wasn't something that they were going to be able to sell, period. I don't think that's the case necessarily. I do think the way the Pac-2 gets built is with teams who, you know, and again, the biggest thing that this, that this hinges upon is that college football playoff 
deal. Mm-hmm. And does that happen? That's the real question. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Let's take a break, Chris. Let's do. Before we get into our final segment here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint, when we come back, we will kind of take a look at that record that got broken that you couldn't see unless you had Peacock last night. Which I do. Which you do. So you did. I did not see it. But I could have. But you could (laughs) have. I did not, but I could have. Anyway. We'll be back here in the Lee Company studios for the final segment of the week when we come back. Stay with us. I'm Maurice Patton, and on Main Street Sports Today, we bring you the voices of your favorite teams from preps to pros. Um, Otherwise known as the VOT, Mike Keith. The, The bottom line is... We can teach Will Levis woke. I just don't know who's going to work with you on your base stealing now that he lies. <laughs> well, that has nowhere to go but up. And I was just like, oh, guys, not again. Can we just bury that, burn that footage, and not bring it back? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll keep it going past the All-Star break. And uh, looking forward to seeing how the rest of the season plays out. There's always a good story to tell. Can you guess where I am today, Mo? Where, where am I? It's, it's Reece not Smith Reece Smith Fee, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you play Chicago, you want to win. That's just. You got that right. And that's <laughs> a you know, when you're walking the dog, you keep the bags that you need for the dog in the bag and you don't even have to wear it. You can just hold it, which is what I do when I walk the dog. So I think I think the fanny pack probably needed a little rebranding. <laughs> it did. So, it really um, did. It, it, <laughs> on your show logo, we've got to get a puck in there. There's a basketball, there's a oh. football, there's a baseball. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not a puck. How about Mo brandishes a hockey stick? Tune in daily at 2 p.m. on Main Street Media TV. Final segment of Main Street Sports today presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. Caitlin Clark. Caitlin Clark. The all-time leading NCAA Division I women's basketball scorer. Correct. It's and a mouthful, but it, you, it's a it mouthful, needs to be but said. You gotta, you, yeah, exactly. It needs to be said because as a friend of mine on Facebook, um, longtime Baltimore Sun women's basketball writer Milton Kent pointed out, Lynette Woodard of Kansas scored more than this when women's basketball was administered by the old um, AIAW before the NCAA took over women's athletics in like the early 80s. So, um, um, you, 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 I, I don't, I don't know how that all plays because Woodard, Woodard is the division one all-time leader for now. That record's going to fall in the next two weeks. When you She's start- less than a hundred points away. Uh, but the the AIAW, the AIW, I'm not sure if there were different divisions because Pearl Moore scored 
at Francis Marion. So I don't know how that works. But 3884 is the all-time women's college basketball record, and that is held by Pearl Moore of Francis Marion in South Carolina. The next one is Deb Ramirez. Of, North, of Northwestern in Iowa, ironically, NAI at 38.54. And Woodard's is 36.49. And Clark is at 35.69. So she's, what, 80 points away? What'd you say, 35 what? 35.69? Yeah, 80 points. So that, that's, that's, that's going to fall. Can't she get to 38 <laughs> this year? I mean, you're just talking I mean, 250 points or 200, no, not 220 points. 15, 215. And, you know, I guess it depends on how many more games Iowa plays. Well, you I mean, they, they could play as many as six in the NCAA tournament, however many they play in the Big Ten tournament. And, Whatever they got left, left in the regular season. So. And she got another year left if she wants it. She's not used her COVID year. I don't think you're going to see Caitlin Clark back in Iowa City next year. I disagree. I think her value at Iowa is far greater than her value in the WNBA. I would not argue with that. I don't think she's coming back. Uh, I tell you what, if she does come back, she could put some numbers in she some places that nobody ever will be <laughs> ever. Yeah. So yeah, that's, 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 yeah, it would be insane. I don't know if she gets to, to 3884. I think she probably does. I mean, crap, she hit 50 last night, almost 49 career high, but still, I mean, she's, she's putting up 30 on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So how mm -hmm. long does it take you to get to what? What did I say, 215? Mm -hmm. So you're talking seven games? Maybe. At 30? Yeah, yeah. she's going to get there. Yeah, so She's going to hit 4,000 points. And 1,000 assists. Plus. That's pretty nuts. That blows nuts. my mind every day. Um, we said we were going to talk some baseball on this show. Let's do it. Because I want to talk about some baseball on this show. Yeah. Um, Rob Manfred announced yesterday that he will not seek another term. Nor will he accept. As, you know, nor will he. Well, <laughs> will not seek, nor will he accept another term as commissioner of Major League Baseball. Which is, which puts you on that uphill, all right, roller coaster just to send you back down when you realize <laughs> his term does not end until after the 2028 season. It's like, dude, you got my hopes up. <laughs> like this is like, like, we still got another five years of this dude. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if that was your plan, you could have waited another couple of years to announce it as far as I'm concerned. His current five-year contract will be his last. He will retire in 2029. Has been serving since officially succeeding Bud Selig in 2015. 
<laughs> you can only have so much fun in one lifetime. I've been open with the owners about the fact that this is going to be my last term. If, if that's what Thanks. you consider fun, okay. Um, continuing to read from CBSSports.com, Manfred is deeply unpopular with baseball fans. He's booed each time he appears publicly, though the fact of the matter is the next commissioner is very likely to operate the same way. Maybe that person will be a better public speaker than Manfred and not come off as condescending, <laughs> but the job itself will not change. Now, speaking of public speaking. Yeah. Let's, uh, <laughs> he, let's, he publicly let's, put his he, foot in his mouth. He publicly spoke <laughs> about the situation regarding one team in Northern California and really, yeah, put his foot in his mouth. Go ahead. I'm, I, I want to say, I'm trying to find if there's actual context around this quote reported by Jake Mintz of Yahoo Sports because I would love to hear the context around this this Oakland A's saga. Manfred's comments about the Oakland A's impending move to Las Vegas are sure to ruffle some feathers, Mintz writes. When asked by Yahoo Sports how the league plans to maintain a presence in Oakland after the A's leave town, Manfred pointed across the Bay. First of all, we do have a major league team in the Bay Area, he said. It's not like there, there is not an available option. The Giants obviously still play there. <clears throat> Sir, I don't know if you've ever been to Oakland or San Francisco, but they don't like each other. <laughs> Yeah, and they they would just assume root for the Tokyo Giants before they root for the San Francisco Giants. They will they would assume root for the Oakland A's or the Las Vegas A's before they root for the San Francisco Giants. That's how much they hate the Giants. It's not happening. He was asked during I guess when he was in um, Tampa for something or other, but he was asked how MLB plans to continue serving fans in the Bay with the A's on the way out. So, I mean, Oops. He, do, he goes on to say, but in terms of the other side of the Bay, the Oakland side of the Bay, our community involvement in terms of youth programming, all the things that we do in major league communities will com continue. And I think it's a sign of our commitment to the community that we will continue that kind of programming. And as I said, most important, there is a fan opportunity that's not so far away. So I don't know if that adds any more context, but has he ever driven to San Francisco from Oakland? It's, I mean, it, it's far enough. I don't know. I mean, again, this is the stuff that we've kind of gotten used to hearing from Rob Manfred, kind of like it's just a piece of metal and yes. different things like that, that really make you wonder if he's fit for the position that he's in, to be honest. 
It's absolutely brutal. And, and, and then you, you, you add on top of, you know, I, I hate the extra inning runner rule, mm-hmm. but as I've said, I don't, I don't hate the pitch clock. I think it's okay. Mm-hmm. I, I hope to see the ABS system or at least the ABS challenge system implemented at the major league level at some It's got to be the challenge soon. level, yeah. Yeah, and I think some of the rule changes have been good. I think extending the playoffs was terrible. But, you know, his goal is to make money, not to make fans happy. That's the bottom line. Well, but, I mean, if you make fans happy, don't you? Typically, you make more money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he's he's got to figure out blackouts and the new ballet situation. And I'm not sure he's the guy that I want doing that, but he's going to. So it is what it is. Well, I mean, if they're going to get it figured out over the next oh, and it's got four to be, years, yeah, it's it, got yeah to be exactly. Out this year, I mean, at least next year. So all of that being said, I think Rob Manfred has done some good things, more bad things, and I, I don't trust him over the next five seasons to be any better, but it is what it is. We have to deal with it at this point. So, you know, the jerseys, the new Fanatics slash Nike jerseys that everyone hates, including players, this is terrible. Oof. Uh, well, I mean, apparently I mean, the Braves' colors don't even match. Their jerseys and their caps. Yeah, well, it's two different Okay. Two different shades of blue. Navy is one of the most difficult shades of a color to match with different materials. So obviously the hat is made of a different material than the shirt, and it's just it's really hard to match. I only know this because of my family's history in sporting goods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like it just is that that's something that one in maroon is mm-hmm. almost impossible, depending yeah. on what what fabric you're you're talking about. That that blue and that blue are Supposed to be close to the same, not even, not, not even not. A, a little bit. So right. that's, you're going to get that. But it is, you know, it, it is going to be interesting to see how this, this uniform thing plays out because I think it's going to have to change at least by next year. Yeah. Because it's bad right now. Well, it'll be interesting to see how or if yes, it Rob Manfred handles that. But, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Five years away. It's five years away. <laughs> so keep hope alive, right? Keep hope alive. Yeah. What are you looking forward to this weekend? Um, both the Vanderbilt UT games. Men's and, oh, college baseball starts this weekend. Started today. Yeah, Vanderbilt. middle is playing right now. Um, I think UT's playing. I'm not so, sure who UT's playing. UT Vanderbilt is Vanderbilt playing. playing yeah. Vanderbilt is playing Florida Atlantic right now. So, yeah. Um, I don't know that the weather is going to be very conducive to baseball this weekend. Daytona 500, Sunday, maybe. Who you got? Um, give, you know what? Give me Bubba. You're not taking Busher? Nope. Although I would, but no. Okay. All right. I want to thank all of our guests this week, and I don't think I have time at this point to run through all of them, unfortunately. But, um, and thank you all for watching this week. We will see you again Monday at two o'clock from the Lee Company Studios, and I think it'll actually be us again, right? It will be. It will be. It'll be us, Monday, 
Stay with us here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. For the last time.